sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The Green New Deal is, that's a hoax like the hoax I just went through. I'm not even sure, it might be a bigger one, and mine was pretty big. If you're accused of a crime by a grand jury, and they don't indict you, the prosecutor doesn't go all over town saying, we thought he did this, we thought he did this, this is all the evidence, that's why a grand jury is secret. And now, Stacy Washington. Oh yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the program and thanks for being with us today. We have so much for you. We actually have two guests this hour of the program, Dr. Alex McFarland and Timothy Snowball, who is a, uh, he's a attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation, and they have some interesting information about socialism. Dr. Alex McFarland, who's host of Exploring the Word here on American Family Radio, is going to join us to talk about the Equality Act and exactly what that means for us as believers. What kind of ramifications will that have on us? And I know um, for people who are maybe unaware of what the Equality Act is, it's, it, it's intentionally named so that it sounds like it's a great idea. And then it isn't, right? It's not a good idea. It's actually a horrible idea. So we'll talk about that. We will also get into this Green New Deal. Uh, the president had some interesting comments on it. In fact, let's go to that right now. Uh, it's President Trump talking about how the Green New Deal is actually a hoax. The Green New Deal is, that's a hoax like the hoax I just went through. I'm not even sure, it might be a bigger one. And mine was pretty big. Mine was unlimited. Think of it, the Green New Deal, under that deal, I, I didn't have this, this isn't down. But John Kennedy, Bill, under that deal, everybody in this room gets fired. All of the thousands of guys and women standing on these buildings get fired, they go home. Because under the Green New Deal, they don't like clean, beautiful, natural gas. They don't like anything. They don't know what they like. They sort of like wind, even though it kills all the birds. You want to see a bird cemetery? Go under a windmill sometime. You'll see the saddest. You got every type of bird. You know, in California, you go to jail for five years if you kill a bald eagle. You go under a windmill, you see them all over the place. Not a good situation. But that's what they were counting on, wind. And when the wind doesn't blow, you don't watch television that night. Yeah. Uh, so when the wind doesn't blow, you don't watch television that night because you don't have any electricity. And what President Trump is saying there, the point he's making is that when people are talking about the Green New Deal and all the things that go along with it, they're not telling you the truth about what that looks like for your everyday living. They're not letting you know how intermittent your service would be. And so if you think it's annoying to go to your favorite restaurant, like, you know, the the big legendary they're not available. The biggest joke on the internet anywhere is that if you go to McDonald's right now, if it's hot where you are, it's pretty warm here today. If you go to McDonald's, there's more than a 50% chance that any McDonald's you go to, the ice cream machine is broken. And a lot of people in the summer, the only reason they're going to McDonald's is so they can get that soft serve ice cream in a cone for everybody in the car, everybody in the minivan, everybody in the truck, whatever. And so that's the big joke. Well, if you think people get annoyed about that, not being able to get soft serve ice cream, imagine having everything run by wind power like the Democrats want us to do. And when you go to flip a switch, 
and there's no wind out because that happens. Have you have have you ever noticed? You go outside and it's eerily quiet. You're like, what is missing? Well, the wind isn't blowing. And what I notice is that when the the when it's eerily quiet outside and the wind isn't blowing, oftentimes I'll notice that the birds aren't chirping either. It's almost as if the birds have stopped chirping so they can listen to the fact that there's no wind blowing. Now, that's something interesting for us to discuss, isn't it? It's fun to talk about that. I mean, it doesn't hurt anybody for me to talk about wind not blowing and birds not chirping or what have you. But it's a whole nother story if you've got, let's say, a radio show to broadcast or you need to vacuum or God forbid it's 95, there's no wind, you can't turn on your uh, your air conditioner. And, and when I say turn on, remember most of the things that we use that run off of electricity are, they're automatic type things. Like you don't actually cut your air conditioning on. It turns on when it senses that the, the temperature that you've set, 68, 72, whatever, the temperature drops below that or goes above that for the AC and it clicks on. So you're sitting at home waiting for stuff to click on. And not only is that not clicking on, but think about all the lights and things you use all day long without a second thought. You just access it. Your expectation is that whenever you hit the switch, you're going to get electricity. You're going to press the button on the blender and it's going to go. If you plug something in, when you hit the on switch, you're going to turn on a fan. You're going to turn on a light. You're going to turn on a television. And these are necessities for people who are living their lives where you have to have a dialysis machine or you need the nebulizer. Let's say if you have asthma, you don't have time for wind to blow. You want access to electricity and you want it now. Democrats are actually proposing that we roll back all of the technological innovation that makes it easy to live and put ourselves in a position where we just we're at the mercy of whatever the weather can do. And that's it's not just unacceptable. It's silly to expect Americans to live like that. I, I mean, why would we want to? And so for the teenagers and young people who are currently like, oh, the Green New Deal. Yay. You know, the Green New Deal. That sounds awesome. Well, of course, they're going to be in favor of it because they're, they're not thinking it through. That's when the adults move into the equation. Us adults, we're, there's supposed to be enough of us clear thinking to offset anything that teenagers and college students might think is a good idea. Remember, voter turnout for college students is really low anyway, because most college students, whenever they send campus reform or anybody onto the college campus and they say, hey, um, when's the last time you voted? Are you 18? Sometimes they'll, they'll catch 21-year-olds and they're just walking with their earbuds in. They got their backpacks on. And when they talk to them, they almost always say identical. I'm, I'm just worried about getting these classes, man. I'm just worried about making my tests. They're focused on finishing their education. And then for young adults in the workforce, it's, they're just getting their feet wet. And so it's almost a benefit that voter turnout is kind of low in those groups. Why? Because if you're not paying attention to the political processes, then you're probably not well equipped to participate in them. So you may be of the age where you can vote, but what about being informed? So this is something that it keeps coming up. We need the Green New Deal. We need to stop climate change. We need to single-handedly, unilaterally, unilaterally adjust the climate. People who believe that you can do that, but they say us Christians are, uh, you know, small-minded and believe in fairy tales. Us believing in God and believing that he's the creator of the heaven and the earth and, and everything that we see us believing that he's real and that we can have a relationship with him, that's more far-fetched than rebuilding every building in America 
never ever flying an airplane again and using only wind and solar power, which have been proven to be unreliable to heat and cool 325 million Americans plus the 30 or 40 illegal aliens that 30, 40 million illegal aliens that are here. So which of those sounds more implausible to you? And I know there are plenty of people out there who are big builders, developers, like, you know, Donald Trump's not the only one out there who knows the art of the deal. He wrote the book, but there are plenty of developers out there who've made amazing, uh, you know, buildings and structures, et cetera, et cetera. But (laughs) what's interesting is that none of them have jumped on board to say, hey, this looks like an opportunity for us to make a whole lot of money. Let's rebuild every building in America. Nobody's interested in doing that. Not only the architectural significance that would be lost because some of our buildings are historic and they're old, but it's just the idea that what we have now isn't good enough. We need to remake the entire country. But when we say we want to remake our lives and follow Jesus Christ as his disciples and we want to, you know, we want to, we know we're formed in the image of God. Now that's, that's outlandish and crazy, right? And that's what I'm talking about. Denying God, denying the truth of the cross, but you know, hey, let's rebuild every building. Let's measure, you know, the flatulence of cows and govern ourselves according to that. That's the kind of lunacy that we're working with right now. So pardon me if I'm not in favor of it. All right. Now, this story. OK, I have two more stories for you for, for just this segment. First off, I keep like giving this one out and I have not talked about it yet. So first, let's do research reveals belonging to a church is a crucial element for longer and happier lives. So this one, um, I think it's fascinating because Timothy P. Carney, he's the author of Alienated America, Why Some Places Thrive While Others Collapse. He writes about what he's discovered in a recent editorial for the New York Post. So he's talking about Sioux County, Iowa, which is the example. The county is known for its strong Christian presence in the state. The Association of Religious Data Archives states that the county has the highest portion of evangelicals and mainline Protestants in the entire state of Iowa. So the Association of Religious Data Archives uh, actually has this information that he used to research, and it reveals that the county rates low in problems such as drug overdoses. On the other hand, Carney highlights how areas such as Potawatomi, Potawatomi County, Potawatomi County, Iowa's least religious county, have the highest rates in the state for violent crimes, overdoses, and disability claims. So Carney's research, and he got, he, he used a number of different sources, Desiree News, BYU, etc. He reports that families attending church at least once a week are very happy and are far more likely to eat dinner together and participate in family activities. The increased family time results in a healthier household. So belonging to a church is a crucial element of living a good, happy, healthy life. And the phenomenon of the church attendance and the ensuing happy life actually resonates and ripples outward to other individuals in the community. So places like Sioux Center, Salt Lake City, they're full of vibrant churches and they're places with more upward mobility, more marriage, more family formation. So the key is churches that deliberately and unceasingly try to build communities and become institutions of civil society, not merely places of worship, teaching their followers to live out their faith by serving their neighbors. They also provide through this work, this safety net and sense of purpose that only tight knit communities can provide. So this is, it's not just about the individuals who are choosing and making it a practice to attend church, but it's everything that 
flows out from that practice, from going into these churches on a regular basis, participating in the outreach ministries and helping through service and participation to guide that outlook so that the church is community focused, bringing the gospel out into the community and making it real in the lives of everyone nearby. So it's a benefit for everyone. Timothy B. Carney actually wrote a book called Alienated America, Why Some Places Thrive While Others Collapse. And I think this is pretty fascinating. Statistics have pretty much proven this before. Pew Research shares that overall church attendance has been on the decline and only 36% of Americans are attending weekly services in 2014. The number is a 14% decline from 1950s Gallup report. Now, CBN recently reported on the nun rising movement. Um, Nuns are people who identify as having no religious affiliation. And many of them believe there's a God, um, but they've lost the desire to be affiliated with a religion. And this mindset actually reflects the lifestyles of many millennials. Over 59% have already left the church. And so when we get Alex on, Dr. Alex McFarland, host of Exploring the Word, he's going to be with us next segment. And we're going to kind of touch on this and also this push for the Equality Act, because I think, you know, you can see a correlation between declining church attendance and the increase in the desire to force government to force people to do stuff they don't want to do. That kind of totalitarianism comes from you don't you don't believe in freedom. You don't believe that freedom is an innate right. You believe that the government should force people to do stuff that's for the better good, stuff that's right, make them think things, make them believe things. And that all rises out of people getting away from this idea that we're all created in the image of God. We're individuals and we have individual rights and liberties. The government's there to protect those rights and liberties, not to force us to do things that we may or may not want to do for whatever reason. Um, so it's, Carney also believes this, this, what I just articulated there, he said, shrinking church attendance in the U.S. is clearly connected to societal problems. And as politicians and social leaders try to pinpoint the root cause of American woe, they should start by looking at America's closing churches and then compare those to the churches that are bustling and on the increase and the communities that surround both and compare them and see what, what does this show to us? What do we learn from this? I think it's fascinating research. We will talk about the guy who's charged with flying his helicopter in and out of his backyard for months. In other words, he was using his helicopter as his like personal conveyance, like a car. And his neighbors got mad and complained, and now he's up and he's in trouble. And I just want to know how I can live that best life. Well, first I have to learn how to fly a helicopter. <laughs> Be right back. Here's American Family Association President Tim Wildman. Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan, two Texans, support and believe in our ministry here at AFA and AFR. We know more about the laundry business than anything else. We know a little bit about a lot of things, but we know a lot about the laundry and dry cleaning business. They created a laundry detergent to sell to folks to support AFA. We just want to be able to provide a product that can be used by AFA to support the ministry. When you wash your family's clothes with Redeem Clean laundry detergent, you can take great satisfaction in knowing that you're supporting the vital work of the American Family Association. It's a unique way to increase your giving to AFA. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Learn more about the Redeem Clean products when you visit redeemclean.afastore.net. 
Hi, I'm Crawford LaRitz with a Legacy Moment. The other evening on the news, there was a story about some people who claim to be handymen who do everything from roofing to paving driveways. Unfortunately, they're rip-off artists. You know, slick con men who prey on the unsuspecting. Not everybody who sounds sincere is sincere. Some of us are just too trusting. We need to be careful who we let get close to us. Others of us are manipulators by nature. We say some things and withhold other information to make sure we control the outcome and get others to do what we want them to do. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, David's own son Absalom begins to manipulate and orchestrate the overthrow of his father. We pick up the story in verse 1. Now it came about after this that Absalom provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. Now verse 4. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land. Then every man who has any suit or cause could come to me and I would give him justice. Then verse 6 says, And in this manner, Absalom dealt with all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. That was his real motivation. He stole their hearts away. Absalom had an agenda, and he sounded as if he had noble motives. I want to be a fair judge. But he stole their loyalty. Basically, he was disloyal, and he kept his true desires secret. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Not everybody around us is honest. Trust is a precious gift. The best you can, make sure that the heart and motives are right before you give the gift of trust. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey there, welcome back to the program. I'm Stacy Washington, host of Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the program. He's a fan favorite. He's a host on American Family Radio of Exploring the Word. He's a doctor, holds a doctorate, PhD. And he's an overall fantastic individual who he, he traverses the country, traveling most days out of the year and hosting conferences and, and giving speeches on apologetics and activating the youth of America for the cause of Jesus Christ. So it's an awesome privilege to have Dr. Alex McFarland join us again today. Hey, Dr. Alex, well, how are you thank doing? You are so kind. Thank you for that very generous and... Uh undeserved introduction but God it's the you. truth <laughs> i just i don't tell I, I only tell the truth about the guests coming on so it's the truth um well <laughs> so where I, are you I'm, I'm calling in from today excited about jesus well amen amen to that so where are you calling in from today um where, what part of the country are you in i am on interstate 85 outside of charlotte north carolina so you guys have an event coming up don't you yeah, I've got my show Exploring the Word that is on the AFR network in about 36 minutes. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm just driving my little car to a studio. <laughs> okay. All right, because I wasn't sure if How you were out you? traveling are and you, speaking. Are you home in your home studio? I am. I'm back at home, and gratefully so, because, you know, Monday, I, we, were, we were discussing this. So to let everyone in, 
uh, Dr. McFarlane and I, when we were at Sherathon, we worked the phones together and kind of caught up a little bit. And I was sharing with him that our son Miles is graduating on May the 20th, which is Monday. So I've got family incoming. So we're fluffing all the pillows and cleaning up and, you know, making everything look nice for incoming family and then the graduation. Well, you know, I, I was uh, going to tell everybody, um, when we did Sherathon together, well, you know, first of all, we were in Anaheim, California at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Oh, yeah. And then um, at AFA, we were doing Sherathon, and I was like, we should do a show. I mean, we had, like, on-air chemistry, and we were going through <laughs> current events and things, yeah. and I was like, I like the way you think. Yeah, we do. We we actually had the be- – well, it, we didn't get to do as much together at NRB, but at the Sherathon – because we were like all of the hosts were together. And so I got to do like, of course, bucket list. I got to be on with um, Brian Fisher of Focal Point and like, you know, yeah. in the studio with him, which I'd never done before. I'd never even met Brian before. And then I also got to interview Abe on his own show. So I was actually in the studio where he normally is. And I, you know, we were there live and interviewed him during his hour. And then you and I did. I mean, we just did a bunch of shows together during my hour where you were on with me and we were able to just hang out and have a good time. So we, we did. We, we, we were killing it when we were doing our radio stuff. It was awesome. You know, it, it was funny because um, during, you know, the fundraising for some of the radio, sometimes people are like, um, please help us and say a little prayer. And if, if you think about it, maybe send us something. And Stacey was on there and Stacey was like, look, people. America's going to hell on a banana peel, and and y'all y'all better man up and support. And it was, I mean, people responded, and we give God the glory. But, yeah, yeah, and you were responded. you were also right there. You were like, and so we just need to say a prayer right now. And people were moved by that. Like it was it was a good dynamic that we had. Where we, I, it's it is nicer. You have to admit, it's nicer when you get to do radio together. Like if you're in the room with a person. It is really fun. And then afterwards, I think the rapport increases because now we have actually done because we've you've been on my program before. We've talked before. We've met before. But this was different because we actually got to do some radio together, live radio, which was super fun. Well, exactly. And, you know, the, the passion in our words uh, is because, you know, all kidding aside, I mean, the country, I love this nation. I love Jesus. Hey, I'm a happy camper. I'm saved. I've got a, a great wife, and I love this nation. But in all seriousness, I mean, this country is in a bad place. Mm. And we, we've got to have a great move of God's Holy Spirit, and we need uh, to see masses come to Jesus. And we, frankly, we need a, a moral awakening. Stacey, do you know what I mean when I say we, we need a, a, a moral awakening? Mm-hmm, or this country I do. really can't survive. Well, and th- that's a perfect segue. Um, Alex, I would really wanted to get your take on the Equality Act. So, you know, they've got this bill that they proposed and they want to pass it and get it through. Obviously, it'll sail through the House because the Democrats control the House. But then it could be blocked in the Senate, which is where we hope it would be. And if it wasn't, obviously, the president could simply veto it. But the Equality Act, it has such a nice name, but in reality, it's about squashing religious freedom and fully silencing people who have a a religious core, people who are practicing Christians, who run Christian businesses, or who work in places where they just simply want to be left alone to, you know, exercise our faith under the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, what's basically 
promised to us through our government. And I'm I'm really I can't believe how far this thing has gone, but it is actually yeah. a live yeah. bill. Um, what is your take on that? Like, how do how do we fight that? Well, I got to tell you, um, you have to hand it to Satan. Over the last forty five years, the um, subtle incremental mainstreaming of homosexuality and transgenderism has resulted. And and folks, listen to me. This is this is not. Uh, theory. This is fact. We're looking at the criminalization of Christianity, and and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Christianity is good news that the Son of God gave His life on the cross so that we could be saved. But Christianity contains the the truth that we are sinners and we have to repent and turn away from sin. Mm-hmm. And now the Church has been called to proclaim the gospel to everybody. Uh, God loves you, Christ died for you, repent of your sin, and you can be saved. Well, you're right, equality sounds really great. Hey, Mm. you know, we should be uh, tolerant and everybody should be viewed as equal. But the Equality Act, as it relates to um, granting the same um, human rights, constitutional rights, to gay, lesbian, bi, queer, transgender... I mean, here's here's what is unique about it and what the danger is. For one thing, folks, this will be the first time that it... You know, um, the, the law has always talked about what are mutable and immutable characteristics. Uh, the fact that I'm a male, that is an immutable characteristic. You're a female. Can't change that. Nope. But mutable, changeable characteristics are behaviors, Um, you know. uh, And so I've met many, many ex-homosexuals, ex-transgenders, but you'll never meet an ex-Hispanic or an ex-Caucasian. And so um, really we're not going to be able to legally tell sinners they need to be saved. And, And the Great Commission mandate of our Lord. So, okay, you, you packed a lot in there, and I, I appreciate your analysis because I'm, I'm really concerned that maybe Americans, and, and this happens a lot, there'll be so much news that they won't focus in on something like the Equality Act, and it kind of, that's what the left leftist agenda is all about. You bombard people with so much news, and then you can slide the most insidious proposals. They just kind of, go by under the radar. And then before you know it, you know, you're working someplace and you say, oh, we don't, you know, we, we can't have someone who is gender confused in this role, but you could work here. And all of a sudden, you know, they're, oh, you're trying to practice Christianity at work and that's not allowed because we passed the Gender Equality Act and you're sitting there wondering, well, what just happened? And a lot of Americans, I think, yeah. the, the name of it makes it sound as if it's something, oh, I don't need to pay attention to that Equality Act. That's just more, you know, more, basically more, behavioral type stuff to get people to treat each other better but it's not this is an actual it's the first real hammer that the liberals want to bring down on the heads of christians who honestly it's just living as a christian in america today would be severely altered by this bill well yeah and just like um abortion could only be legal if we ignore morality 
if, if we suddenly decide it is okay to take the life of another human indiscriminately murder, um, homosexuality is, is only valid if there is no natural law, the laws of nature, or self-evident truth, as Jefferson called it. And here's my point. Um, if, if somebody wants to engage in behavior uh, between consensual adults, what, what you do in your bedroom, uh, sinful or not, I mean, that you're right. People can do whatever they're going to do. But my point is, what we can't really allow people to do or shouldn't allow people to do is to uh, do the things that will undermine the stability of the U.S. Constitution. And our abandonment of morality uh, has undermined our freedom. You know, JFK in 1961, when John F. Kennedy was inaugurated as president, he said our first and most fundamental freedom, our basic, most foundational constitutional right is the right to religious freedom. And so if you talk about morality, now, now listen carefully, folks, if, if you invoke morality and say, well, look, there are some things that are immoral, and, and we don't have to give state-sanctioned protection to things that are immoral, they say, well, you violated the First Amendment, uh, which prohibits the establishment of religion. Here's my point, Stacey. Recognition of morality is not the same as the initiation of a religion. And, and we've become so desirous to position the First Amendment against public religion that what we've lost is really morality. And, and to the gays, atheists, I say, look, if you want to be gay, if you want to be atheist, go for it. But what we can't let you do is abolish all recognition of morality such that our culture falls into lawlessness. And that's where we're at. And I, I just... One of the things that that sometimes I think about is, you know, in 20 years or so, we've passed the Equality Act. And by in 20 years, because the Equality Act is is opening the door to utter unabated fascism, to religious persecution. Exactly. Um, Right. So in 20 years, people will be saying, you know, what happened to all the churches and why are we now, you know, uh, imprisoning Christians? Where did this all begin? It began with the Equality Act. That's how important it is for us to refuse um, the, exactly. It, it, it's not something we can say, well, we if we pass it, we can roll it back. Look at the fight we've had over trying to roll back Roe v. Wade. Look at the fight that we've been engaged in. And now we've taken to, obviously, we hope the Supreme Court would reverse itself and right that wrong. But now we're waging this war on the state level and we're actually winning at the state level. We're really making Amen. some amazing changes. And God be the glory that he's he's the one who's orchestrating that and making those moves possible. But I'm pointing this out because once something becomes the law, it is so hard to reverse it. Look at Obamacare. Look at the control the Republicans had and they weren't able to reverse that. And Obergefell, this home, the same sex marriage thing. That is not something that's going to be easy to reverse. Even if we find out something that incontrovertibly proves that homosexuality is not an innate characteristic and it's scientifically proven, it doesn't mean that Americans will say, well, we need to now take away this so-called right that the you know Supreme Court made up and, and basically redefine marriage. So stopping the Equality Act is the goal, not letting it come in and then saying, well, we'll just have to take it back later. There's no taking it back after we do something like that. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, it, it, you, you could sooner outrun your shadow 
then you could roll back a law once it gets put on the books. And and I would beg all Americans to um, defend morality like you would defend your next breath of oxygen. That's why, Stacey, uh, whomever replaces Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and, uh, you know, we need to pray about this. Uh, I wish her no ill. I, mm-hmm. I, I pray for her because she needs Jesus. But uh, we we need to pray that God would preside over the replacement of Ginsburg on the court, and we need. That's why it's so imperative that uh, I believe President Trump needs to, just as Gorsuch and Kavanaugh were natural law jurists, uh, we need Ginsburg's replacement to be a, a jurist who believes in natural law. Uh, because you're right, uh, Stacey, we're going to be looking at the imprisonment of Christians, the criminalization of Christianity. If, if you want to if you want to see where America is going to be, just look at Europe, France, the Netherlands, um, and it's going to be a combination of secularism and Sharia. And right. I will tell you, Stacey, and, and I don't mean to be doom and gloom, but um, the next 20 to 50 years are going to be an arm wrestling match over socialism and Sharia if America doesn't rediscover the gospel and have a moral revival. And that's what we have to be praying for. You you perfectly sum that up because I think when we're, to, especially since my show is kind of oriented around politics and we talk about a lot of the things that everyday issues that are going on and politics is a tool but if we are not girded up and really defenders of the faith ourselves, we can't even properly utilize the tool of politics. And so it all goes back to, are we rooted and grounded? Do we believe what the Bible says? And do we, do we know that he says a thousand will fall at your right hand, 10,000 will, you know, he, God is very clear about what we're able to do if we yes. dwell in the secret place and then profess his name we 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 tell the truth about who he is and we believe it if we do those things no man can assail us and then we will be out there effectively evangelizing and bringing people to christ which is the way to change a lot of the way people are thinking it seems kind of hopeless when you talk Mm -hmm. politics to someone you can't switch their mind but if you tell them about the saving grace of jesus christ and they come to know him he will set all things right with that person because the truth cannot dwell uh with darkness it Lies can't Amen. stay in the light, right? So they need the light of Jesus yeah. Christ. You, you're fantastic. Your program, Exploring the Word, comes up here in just like 40 minutes. So I'm going to let you go and get ready for that. Um, thank you for joining us on the, on the fly today. We re- really appreciate your time. Well, and we have a summer youth apologetics camp we do every year. It's coming up in July. I mean, there's still time uh, to register. And we talk to high schoolers and college kids about this and other issues. So my website, if I can give it, is truthforanewgeneration.com. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. In the mid-1990s, I started doubting that I'd ever get a head coaching position. Minnesota Vikings chaplain Tom Lamphere counseled me just to keep my eyes on Christ and be the best assistant coach I could. He told me to follow the Lord's guidance. As Tony went into the 1995 season, he tried not to focus on his disappointment over two head coaching opportunities he didn't get. Instead, he got back to work with the goal of helping his team get to the Super Bowl. 
Letdowns like these are why God gives us good wives. I needed Lauren to tell me that she loved me and believed in me no matter what. Try to encourage your spouse today. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Family is an institution set forth by God, one man and one woman for life, with the outflow being children produced by that union. It's obvious to all that there is an attack on the family in our country, and especially on fathers. Whether it's the cycle of sin that persists in our families or the pressure from our government to exclude men from being intimately involved, the strategic battle is on for the souls of men. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com I love AFR. You say it's on the radio too? Here at American Family Radio, we know that many people find their audio entertainment in other places than the radio. So our programming is available with the AFR app on Apple and Android devices, through Amazon Alexa, and now available on Roku. I just love the podcasts. That too. American Family Radio, streaming our podcast, now available wherever you are. And we're on the radio. Foreign Dispatch. Greenland is three times the size of Texas, but with just 56,000 people, this massive island is the least densely populated territory on Earth. This week, the State Department announced it's restoring a permanent American diplomatic presence in Greenland after six decades, and it's being seen as a bid to counter Chinese influence. As temperatures warm and ice melts, new shipping routes are opening up, and natural resources are becoming available, and China China, despite being hundreds of miles away, wants a piece of the action. At a meeting of the Arctic Council, a block of the eight countries bordering the Arctic, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said China had no claim to the region. China quickly dismissed that warning. And at the end of the meeting, it was the US blocking a show of unity, the Arctic countries failing to agree a joint declaration when the US subjected to language about climate change. In London, Simon Owen, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey there, welcome back to the program. Go to StacyOnTheRight.com and subscribe. Also, don't forget that um, our Teespring is live, so... That is pinned to the top of the Facebook page. If you don't have Facebook, the Teespring link will also be up at StacyOnTheRight.com here momentarily. Um, I'm still kind of editing that post, trying to figure out how to make it look nicer than it does. Um, And the Teespring is where you can order a T-shirt, a mug, a cell phone case for your Samsung or iPhone. You can also order a sleeveless tank top, uh, a sweatshirt. (laughs) So click through to the link. And you can order those things and they'll be shipped directly to you. So they don't come to me first and then you have to wait for me to mail it to you. You order it, you pay for it online, it comes directly to you and it's Stacy on the Right Show merchandise, which has been requested. A lot of people have been saying, how do I get a t-shirt? How do I get a mug? It's not the Heritage mug. I'm sorry. That's from a different company. It's much harder to get and it's way more expensive than the mug that you can get on the Teespring. So um, we're going to do a giveaway with a Heritage mug and another mug that I have. It's a Donald Trump mug. And that's all I'm going to tell you. You have to look on the social media if you want to be able to win that. Um, that contest will go live here in a couple of days. But for now, it's the Stacy on the Right Show merch 
from Teespring that you can click through to the link and order it and get it directly to you. Fantastic, right? That's going to be super fun. So right now, it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest on the program. We have Timothy Snowball. He is a an attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation. And um, we really appreciate your time today, Timothy. Thanks for joining in. Stacy, so nice to join you. Thanks so much. I'm really like trying to hold myself together here because it seems like I'm the queen of bad news, but you have good news. You have actually some really fun. I like the way you guys like phrase this up. That's why I was like, oh, yes, yes. Thank you for sending this out, Jennifer. I want to have him on today to talk about this. It's all about socialism. Tell us more. Yeah, yeah. So I have a, a piece right up now in the, in the Hill magazine online, and it, it's about socialism. And, and it, it turns out that, you know, most Americans, I, mean, I think people forget you wind up, you know, watching the news, watching this AOC and DC and this, you know, Bernie Sanders and all these people talking about socialism, socialism, socialism. And it turns out that, you know, most Americans don't like socialism. They have kind of that, uh, that common sense American take on things, I think, where they go, well, this doesn't really reflect the way that the economics or the world actually works. You can't just print money and give it away or take away people's you know, hard-earned productivity and just give it to people who, who aren't producing. That's just not the way uh, mm. reality functions. Mm. So when you talk about taking money away from hardworking people and giving it to people who don't work, anybody whose head is screwed on even partially, like remember, so you're a guy, so you might not have ever seen these, but back when I was a kid, Barbies had, it was basically a pop on head. So if Mm -hmm. you pull the head too far to the right or left, it would pop off. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like the people we're dealing with have these Barbie heads where there's nothing in there. When you pop a Barbie head off, what you can see is the little plugs of hair (laughs) on the inside. Mm -hmm. The head is completely empty. And I feel like these pop off headed liberals are like, well, all we have to do is take the money from the rich people and give it to the poor people. And what what do they think is going to happen if a poor person and this is obviously I have sympathy for poor, the poor and I believe that we are mandated as Christians to care for them and to help them out of their situation by giving them employment and instruction and, you know, basically helping them along, not just feeding and clothing and, you know, helping them continue in poverty. But the fact is a, a poverty stricken person does not have the same money management skills as a business person who has gotten there through the sweat of their brow, even if the business person inherited some money. And started off with a little nest egg, they still had to keep that money and grow it. And that's not easy. So what, how do we get these pop-off liberals to understand what you've shared here? Because you have these fantastic points. I want you to give those too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I, I think that there's, there are some economic fallacies in there that are taken advantage by some of the politicians on the left, right? Like the idea of a fixed pie. A lot of times when they're describing people who've done very well in our market economy, they'll say, oh, look, 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 look how much these, these so-called rich people have benefited by their exploitation of the poor. That's not the way it works in a voluntary market economy, right? So you look at like a, a Donald Trump or a Bill Gates or a Mark Zuckerberg, think about how much value these individuals have added, actually added to, the, to, our, to our society. The, the fixed pie fallacy, that's really not the way things are. You know, an entrepreneur, when they come out with a new idea or a new invention, that makes everyone else's life better. And the fact that they're compensated for that that's, that should be a very American thing. You know, you bring up the politicians and the rhetoric. You know, you, you look at like a Alexandria or, you know, Ocasio-Cortez or Bernie Sanders. You know, they, they know exactly what they're doing by tapping into a lot of these resentful feelings that a lot of people have that are poor in this country. And the fact of the matter is, you know, you, you meet socialists every now and again, and 
they've got these ideas of, of equality. And you look at their goal and you say, well, their, their goal is basic fairness. They're just going about it the wrong way. And, and you know, you mentioned uh, Christianity and you mentioned our common values as Americans. I think that, you know, we can all agree in the end goal of, of wanting the individual to be better off. You were talking about training or increased education. I think we can all agree on that, but it's really, it's an inversion of values when it comes to, to socialists, and therefore the means that they, they choose based on those values really are, are, are distortions of our American ideals. And they are. They, they totally are. And so I, I'm going to run down these. You have five key points to lead would-be socialist enthusiasts back on the right track. And this is from your article at thehill.com. You have an opinion piece up there. Socialism is neither a fair nor progressive political philosophy. Number one, but, socialism is not new. Number two, contrary to popular belief, it's not working in Europe. Let's go there. What, sure, what, think, how do you prove it's not working in Europe? Because that's, yeah, that's I, what I think, people I, beat me over that. Absolutely. I think, I think these points really spring from the idea that like people who espouse socialism or talk about socialism, they don't really even know what, what that means. There's no real set of ideals. If you were talking about capitalism or American ideals of individual rights, those are very discrete categories, right? Socialism kind of becomes whatever is the, the primary talking point on the left. It's this amorphous category. And so my goal here was really to run through and say, well, maybe the way we can define socialism is to define what it isn't. And as you mentioned, socialism, if the 20th century has taught us anything, is that socialism has failed every time it's been attempted mm-hmm. with massive casualties of human life and suffering. Socialism in Europe, right? I mean, I, I love, sometimes you'll, you'll hear uh, politicians in Sweden or something come out and say, we're not socialists. The reason mm-hmm. our economy is doing so well is because of deregulation and increased market dynamics. We're not socialists. It's socialists in America who are trying to kind of claim that mantle for them. Um, the idea that socialism is more fair or, or, or more just, I mean, who are we to decide how much wealth is too much wealth? Or, or the dynamics that I mentioned, the fact that these entrepreneurs, you don't open a business or invent something and just, it's not like you're extorting money from people. People are buying that product. They engage in Facebook. They buy the Windows program because those things are improvements to our way of doing business or our way of life. Um, mm. Capitalism, you know, anyone who hasn't heard of Milton Friedman, I would encourage you to get on YouTube and look up Milton Friedman videos. He was one of the primary, you know, market economists of our time. He used to make the point that capitalism is the best mechanism yet discovered by mankind to raise the plight of the poorest people. This is absolutely indisputable historical fact. And, and finally, you know, the idea that socialism would somehow be better for the individual, I mean, that, that one is really a, a tough pill to swallow when the entire theory, the entire um, outlook is premised on the idea of grouping people into groups and, and dispensing benefits upon different groups based upon different, you know, shared characteristics. It's, it's really the, the you know... Uh, the individual no longer has rights. And so I, I always find that to be a, a strange argument. Well, yeah. And, and so again, there's, there's, cause there's so much here to unpack, but what you're saying about the European nations is that they're using capitalist free market systems for their, their economy. They may have socialist type policies for their healthcare and for other kind of, kind of, so on the social side, they're much more redistributionary and kind of group together, which is why they have a poorer healthcare system than we do and why, you know, a lot of their things are not as good as ours. But on the, the business side and their economy on the ec- economic part, they're much more free market. 
Well, sure. That's the, the free the free market and, and capitalist policies. That's how wealth is created, right? And so, government has no ability to confiscate our productivity through taxes unless you know we're producing something, right? And so, you know, it's it's countries have realized that, you know, if they're going to support these large social safety nets, like you talked about with an increased healthcare spending or education or any of these other policies, you've got to have an income coming in. You have to have people and institutions producing wealth then to be redistributed. And so it's an interesting argument. I mean, if if Sweden or Denmark or, or some of these, you know, European countries, if their large social safety nets are what qualify them as socialist writ large, then arguably that the United States is a socialist country. And I, I don't think that that's true. And therefore, but it's a scary thought to think of if you're defining it that way. Well, but that's what people tell me all the time. I'll say, you know, those those countries are not equal to us in GDP. I mean, and you can use simple sites like Wikipedia and others online to find the GDP of individual European countries. And at the top, it's always the United States. So what they do is they'll say, well, we are the EU and you're the United States. So break it down by state. Well, when you break it down by state, the top 20 of them are United States. Like So <laughs> American right. states, um, the top 20. And then you see the European countries kind of eke in. They compare to some of our mid-range states in GDP. So there's no way you can deny that America's economic engine, it's not because we bully other people or steal their economic uh, ideas or their, or, or their intellectual property. We don't force our way into other countries. We don't force anybody to do business with us. In fact, most of our trade relationships are uh, much more beneficial to our trading partners than they are to us. And we still drive the economic engine of the entire world with a population of over 300 million. So there has to be something that's different there that you can point to. And I believe it's that we have the true free market system. We do have checks and balances and, and it's not a completely open market, but it's definitely the freest you're going to find. And any other country that replicates that seems to have similar results. Well, sure. And I think that you, you ultimately you make a great point, which again goes to ideals. Socialism, the underlying, you know, the entire idea of socialism is force, right? That they want to force individuals to do what they think is best for you. And that really flies in the face of, of the American system. I mean, the United States was founded upon certain ideals, right? The rule of law, constitutionally limited government, and the rights of the individual. And that, you know, those ideas were revolutionary back in the 18th century, and they're just as revolutionary today. And to the degree that we can get back to those ideals or we can, you know, bolster those ideals, that's what led us to be one of the, you know, the greatest country on earth in the history of the Western world. Is, is our is our fidelity to those basic ideas, and socialism runs exactly counter to that. So I think it's a failure of of education. Uh, I think unfortunately a lot of college students who are out there holding socialism signs are rationally ignorant. They're placing ideology above reality. But at the heart of it, again, you know, it's it's just an inversion of values. And so I'm always encouraged to to speak to you and to speak to others, and hopefully many in your audience will understand that. You know, what we're talking about here is a, is a fight for the future of our republic, right? Mm. And not everyone can run for office. Not everyone can donate large sums of money to politicians. But what we can do is try to do something every day to, to, to further, you know, the future of the republic, whether that's speaking to your children or speaking to your neighbor or volunteering in a, in a classroom. It's going to depend on us. We can't depend upon kind of the ruling class to do this because, you know, no ruling class in history has ever given up their own power, 
Um, Jefferson was quoted as saying, you know, when it comes to questions of power, let no more be heard of confidence in man, but bind him down by the chains of the Constitution. And so to the, the way that we can get back to our constitutional republic is really going to depend upon us. You know, you you summed that up perfectly. And I just want to thank you so much for your time today and for coming on. You kind of short notice, but you were able to get in. And especially huge shout out to Jennifer Ullman for her, for her work in, in getting us together. I think, thank God you wrote the piece. Thank God we can have this conversation and really just lay it out there. And your call for people to volunteer in the community and to espouse these values, it just can't come at a better time. And I know people... You're not talking about a full-time job. You're talking about volunteering as you can, as your schedule permits, but kind of committing to that so that the voices are out there that speak the truth. And I really appreciate that. Um, Timothy Snowball, Pacific Legal, Legal Foundation, thank you for coming over today. Happy to come back anytime. Thanks. All right. Talk to you again soon. Um, we are just like, I know, super, super busy right now and on the program. And so I said I would tell you about the story and I have just like a minute and a half left. You got this guy... <laughs> <laughs> he's been charged with illegally flying a helicopter in and out of his backyard for months. And the picture on this, like I have to post this so you guys can see it's in East Brookfield and his name is Antonio Santonastazo. Mm, that's an, that's an interesting. He's 59 years old. He's going to be arraigned Thursday afternoon in federal court in Worcester. And his neighbors say they turned him in because they were nervous. He was flying in and out of the backyard low and fast. Now he lives in a residential neighborhood where you can see his driveway and then, you you know, like some trees and then his next door neighbor. And he was arrested back in 2000, charged and convicted of stealing a helicopter from Norwood Airport. And this was May of 2000. At that point, because of the arrest and conviction, he lost his license to fly. So then he bought a used helicopter in Texas in February of 2018 and three weeks later, a neighbor called investigators saying Santonastazo was flying the helicopter in and out of his backyard. <laughs> He's using it like a car. <laughs> he said he was lying about whether or not he could actually fly it legally because this man just must love flying helicopters. <laughs> How about you live that best life? All right. <laughs> Have a fantastic afternoon. God bless. More Stacey on the right tomorrow. <laughs>